Okay, this is my spoiler section for Split, recorded the night of seeing that film. So I guess first I'll elaborate a little bit about my qualms with Chloe. As it gets into the third act, what we learn is that Chloe was molested by her uncle repeatedly as she was a child. Eventually her dad dies at some point of a heart attack, leaving her in the care of her uncle, who it's implied continues to molest her, which leads to her being antisocial, acting out in school and such. The intro of the movie says that she's regarded as sort of a black sheep in the school uh, among all the other people at that school. She keeps herself, gets into detention a lot. She says it later on in the film that she does that because she wants to be by herself, to be alone, to get away from everyone, which we learn is to get away from her molesting uncle. She ends up surviving the ordeal. The other women, the movie, do not. She's sort of in a police car, waiting it out while they're exploring everything going on, crime scene such. A police officer comes up and says, your guardian, your uncle, is here to pick you up. We get sort of a long hold on her, and a cut back to the cop, and a cut back to her, sort of more resolve on her face, seeming to imply that now that she's basically been through a horrific, mentally torturing situation for at least a week, maybe more, that she is now prepared to deal with her molesting uncle to speak out or take some sort of action that being through this horrific ordeal has helped her to be able to deal with this other horrific ordeal. Now, with my work background, I, I, I might be just reading into things too much. What I read it as is that, you know, basically sexual abuse victim is not strong enough on their own to deal with things, that they had to be put through continuous... <laughs> horror until they're able to speak out. That didn't quite sit right to me. That may be a misread of what's going on, but that's how I felt watching it. That's felt a little wrong to me. And with the sort of stereotypical female victim thing, the two other girls they're kidnapped are end up, you know, trying to escape and get isolated in their own rooms for what seemed to be at least a few days on their own, although it turns out that they're in rooms that are right next to each other. So Kevin's therapist gets down there, basically figures out what's going on, opens one of the doors and sees one of the girls, then gets knocked out and murdered by Kevin. At this point, the girls start to figure out a way to escape from their room or their rooms and talking to each other through the walls through an idea that was not given to them by the therapist so it's not like it, it's something they could have tried to attempt during the time they were kept in there it's just coming up now because it's at the climax so that's what the movie wants to show them doing so we wonder if they get out off screen to get help or whatever but it's not something that really makes narrative sense or character sense if they've been looking for a way out this whole time they're not really 
disabled, anything like that, in a way that would prevent them from trying the same method earlier in the film. It's a little disappointing to see that in a film like this, just because it's a trope that's happened for so long now. Hoping maybe Shyamalan would have a better way out of that situation than what he went with. Of course, all of that was overshadowed for a little bit for me after seeing the very end of the film. I wonder if he'll do the same for other people seeing it. I'm not sure if it will, because this is something that, while I found it to be amazing and one of the biggest satisfying surprises I've seen in a movie for a long time, it's not something I think will resonate with a lot of people, because it's a callback to something that... Like, entire generation has been born and raised <laughs> since then. So to, to get into what I'm talking about, so they, they, they have her in the car, quoting the car, then they cut away to Kevin, who's talking in his various personalities, as we discover when he turns into the beast, he can get, like, some basic flesh wounds, but he's also seems to have some sort of healing factor or not affecting him that much. Like his therapist ends up like trying to stab him several times and it breaks the knife, implying that his steel is like Luke Cage style. His skin is like steel, like Luke Cage or something. The um, Chloe ends up shooting at him with a shotgun point blank <laughs> without it really making any sort of dent in him. You know, you can see a little blood, but it's not any sort of major damage. She survives only because he gets to her and sees that she has these self-inflicted scars, which she's caused because of the molestation situation. Or maybe her uncle is causing them. They don't really go into it, but I would assume that she's um, self-harming due to her situation. The beast philosophy, basically, is that only damaged people are worthy to live in the world. So it's his job to capture unworthy young women, I think, as they put it. Put them through this ordeal and sacrifice them to this beast personality. He sees that she's harmed and then talks about, you know, now, well, I see that you, you're you not like them. You've had personal turmoil. You're worthy to live because of that. And he just disappears. So we get this monologue of him talking to his personalities to a couple of them, the couple of the main ones that we've seen in the film who have been driving this particular plot and talking about how great it is and how they've, you know, some of the other personalities seem to have been doubtful, you know, really against this whole ordeal, but it sounds as if they are now more interested in it because it was successful. This beast really was invulnerable. Now, it's not really 
doesn't seem to be proving the other point they kept talking about was that no one would make fun of them, you know, claiming this multiple personality thing was fake or whatnot with the beast, that the beast would stop them from doing that would prove everybody wrong. There's nothing really showing that that's the case because it's just one girl who saw it, one, one survivor who's witness to the thing and only, you know, partially a witness to it. So they're talking about how they did prove them right on sort of both ends that the beast is powerful and that and that he has proven them wrong. So when they, they get to this monologue of him sort of talking to himself doing this, this music starts playing and I'm thinking, okay, well this is I've heard this before, I know what's from. As they just finished the movie a week ago, so it might be it's a temp score, I'm sure they're just going to be putting in the real one later. They're just pulling from another Shyamalan movie. So they go through this monologue, this music is playing, and then they cut to black for a second. We hear this sort of TV exposition on how, you know, insiders familiar with the investigation have taken to calling Kevin the Horde because of the various personalities, which we hear that phrase a couple times of them, the personality is referring to all the personalities collectively as the Horde, which is interesting in that I, I would feel that the Beast would be the more like catchy name to go with rather than the Horde, but whatever. So we hear that, we sort of cut back to a visual again, we see news reporter, we pull back, we're in this diner, music is still going, we hear this woman say, man, doesn't that, that sort of reminds me of that thing with that guy in the wheelchair 15 years ago, or 16 years ago, although actually now it's 17 years ago, or at least at the time this film is releasing, it'll be 17 years <laughs> Which, wow, that's something to think of. <laughs> well, anyway, at this guy, this which, which is sort of like, like, that's a weird expositional line. Like, that feels really forced. I, I wonder if they'll end up rewriting that line at some point to make it sound a little more natural. I'm not sure if they will or not, but... <laughs> so they're saying this line. That guy in the wheelchair from... 15 years ago and it keeps panning down the diner and the girl's like what? these people are talking about like what was his name and it, the camera pans over stops settles on Bruce Willis wearing his signature outfit from the movie Unbreakable with a name tag done on it as in his character's name, David Dunn. And he says to the other patrons, Mr. Glass, or something to that effect, like his name was Mr. Glass. And the music that was playing was the theme music to Unbreakable. <laughs> they played in that, that big scene where he's like touching people, using his powers to figure out all these bad things they've gone. So says that Mr. Glass... Cuts to title, split, 
then end credits. So as we <laughs> discover in the last minute, this movie Split takes place in the same universe as the movie Unbreakable and is, I guess, a sequel of sorts to Unbreakable in the very last minute, which <laughs> my whole reaction to was, what? What? No. What? What the, the fuck? What? Really? Whoa. Was very disbelieving, shock and surprise and excitement all at once. That happens, and then M. Night Shyamalan and James McAvoy and uh, Jason Bloom, <laughs> the producer of the film, they all walk out like right next to me, come out in front, and they say, Hey, we're here, you guys, and I think we're gonna be doing a QA in this theater. You know, we'll just finish the credits and then we'll come back and do it. Well, they went to the wrong theater, apparently, so they <laughs> end up doing the Q&A in another theater. But, um, yeah. So, Split is a sequel to Unbreakable, sort of. The <laughs> long-awaited sequel to Unbreakable that... Again, that's, that's what I'm wondering about here, because Unbreakable is a movie that came out in 2000. I've never had the impression that it's been a super popular movie. It's not something like... It was a big-budget movie that made its money back and more, but it's not something that plays on cable, satellite, etc. a lot. It's not that sort of thing. It's not something that's been run dozens of times like... The Sixth Sense or even Signs. <laughs> so I'm wondering if a large portion of the audience that goes to see this movie is going to look at that be like, why was Bruce Willis in the last <laughs> ten seconds of this movie? I don't understand what is going on. And then they'll have to Google it and see you know, one of dozens of articles explaining that this is a sequel to Unbreakable, sort of. <laughs> So it's not something, it's not really a twist because it doesn't change the nature of the movie itself. It doesn't change any plot elements. It's more of an added bonus. <laughs> it could almost feel like it's tacked on in a sense because of how it just comes in at literally the last minute. <laughs> I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I don't think it... <laughs> makes the movie any better or worse on itself because that doesn't really change the plot of the movie in in that sense. The only thing it might change is, hey, maybe there will be an actual Unbreakable, a full Unbreakable 2 or 3 or whatever you want to call it <laughs> involving this character, the Horde. Now, in the Q&A session, the first question from... Our moderator, Tim Weig, the owner of the Alamo Drafthouse theater chain and, you know, guy behind Fantastic Fest, asked about the ending. What Shaman claimed was that the character of Kevin in this story arc was in the original draft of Unbreakable, that he cut it out because he couldn't find the balance between David Dunn Elijah slash Mr. Glass character and Kevin felt that it was just didn't really have a good balance, was dividing screen time too much so he cut it to just focusing on 
our hero and the one villain, the Professor X type that fit that sort of comic book archetype rather than adding this other character in. So he said that he'd had this thing going for a while and it had been rattling in his head and he finally decided to just make it a full movie with that reveal at the end. I'm not sure if I feel that's entirely accurate. I wonder if it's just something he did to shut up or or please a couple of fans who've been asking over the years about an Unbreakable sequel. (laughs) Which um, some of the people who know me know that at least a while back I had a nonsensical idea for Unbreakable (laughs) 2. Unbreakable being at least at the time, one of my favorite movies. I'm not sure if it still is or not. I, it's something I will have to revisit to uh, reevaluate that. I'll probably do that before I end up seeing Split again with Jaren. Uh, maybe more than Jaren. We'll, we'll see how that pans out. But it's definitely something... That is <laughs> highly entertaining, energetic. It, I I enjoyed that a lot, even though I'm not sure it it really adds anything to most movie going most most moviegoers' experience with the film. They asked him if he was going to continue, and he he said something about how he had an idea for another film there. He just didn't want to commit to doing that as his next thing right now because he didn't want to constrict himself artistically to you know saying that and then being cornered into doing that. I'm not sure that we'll ever see a full Unbreakable film. It would be nice if we did. I'm satisfied with getting this sort of stealth side story origin for, I guess, another villain in the Unbreakable universe. Uh, Is it really a universe if you just have, like, one film? (laughs) I don't know. Um, It was a nice surprise. I feel like going to Fantastic Fest just for that itself made the experience worth it (laughs) in some respects it's going to be really hard to keep this a secret for four months (laughs) not that really anyone else I know would care about it except maybe Jaren or Jeff (laughs) not that they're like huge fans of the movie either it would just be probably funny to them given my (laughs) my unbreakable fandom back in the day <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see their reactions <laughs> it's uh yeah so those are my thoughts on my full spoiler thoughts Spoils. my uncensored thoughts on the resolution of split on what day is it now? September 27th 2016 (laughs) we'll see, maybe four months from now my thoughts will have changed on it, we'll find out Um, well, you'll find out if you're listening to this because I'm going to tag this on with (laughs) those thoughts